0: Join me tonight in the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 4, and I want to say some things about the gospel. That's our goal in this place, is to say things about the gospel, (coughs) good news. And the gospel is called many things in scripture. It's found uh, throughout the Old and New Testament, it's termed different ways, but it all points to the same thing. One man said, our Lord Jesus is both the center and the circumference of divine revelation. And I like that. He's the center and he is the circumference. He encompasses everything about divine revelation. In fact, the revelation of Jesus Christ is mentioned here. And he is the spirit of prophecy. And when we leave him out of prophecy, we're just out there dangling. We have a dangling modifier (laughs) There's nothing we can accomplish without the Lord Jesus Christ. And it becomes speculation. That's what speculation is, is prophecy without Christ. So here we have so much said about the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to say a few things about the gospel, and then we're going to look at a term here in the book of Revelation chapter 4 that shares with us just another view, not a separate view, but another view about the gospel and what it is. Now, the gospel is was preached in the old testament the gospel was preached in the old testament there was not two gospels there was not two views of the gospel old testament and new testament god preached the gospel in the old testament and he shares that knowledge with us he shares i preached the gospel in the old testament would you hold your finger there in revelation chapter 4 and turn with me back to the book of hebrews The book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, and we read here that the gospel was preached in the Old Testament. Now, to some, as we're going to see on Sunday, to some it was effectual. The gospel was effectual to some. It was effectual to David. It was effectual to uh, Joshua and Joseph. It was effectual to them. We know that. Because they love God Almighty with all their heart. Because God Almighty in Christ Jesus loved them with all his heart. And they only can reciprocate or give back what they've been given. So it was effectual. Now, here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 and verse 2, the scriptures share with us this about the gospel. For unto us was the gospel preached. Paul, sharing with the Hebrews, said... The gospel was preached unto us. Now, when Saul of Tarsus heard the gospel for the first time, we don't know. But we know this. He heard the gospel, and then God appeared to him on the road to Damascus. There is no one ever saved without the hearing of the gospel. It is an absolute essential. It is the seed that God uses, and it is essential there will not be any chickens born without seed. And there's not going to be anybody born again without the seed, the word of God. It's an impossibility. Now, here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 2, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now, he's speaking specifically of those Jews in the Old Testament They're in the wilderness wanderings, and they did not have faith. Why? It was not granted to them. Even though the gospel was preached, every time there was a sacrifice made, the gospel was being preached. And there was prophets and preachers and priests that preached the gospel as clearly as it is preached today. There is no difference But we find here that it was not effectual to everyone, but the gospel was still being preached. And we find that the gospel is called, turn with me back just a little further into the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, this... uh, this gospel that was preached in the Old Testament and it was preached at the time of the Lord Jesus and has been preached throughout the centuries and is being preached today in where God has his people. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 beginning with verse 4 it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Now I'm convinced that the God of this world is not Satan. The God of this world is just purely religion and natural man's heart. Satan. Has not, does not have that authority. But my goodness, people's heart is desperately wicked. The God of this world, religion, has blinded their hearts, minds, and uh, them which believe not, lest the light of the, now notice this, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, uh, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. Now we could just go right back to Genesis chapter 1 and read this experience that God performed upon this world in a physical manner when he gave light and there wasn't even a sun around. But here to our hearts, the gospel is used for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. "...has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ." What a description of the gospel is given to us in this passage of Scripture. It is glorious. It's called the glorious gospel of Christ. And it is also what we preach. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus. And then in verse 6 it says, "...to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ." That's what the gospel is. It is preaching Christ and him crucified. And when we preach him, we're going to be preaching about a people that know not God by nature and must be quickened by the Holy Spirit. We're preaching a gospel that shares with us that God loved a people before the world began, that he had an interest in people before the world was created, and that he is in the business then and today of interfering in people's lives and bringing them the gospel shaking them by their boots now it may be that still small voice or it may be Saul on the road to Damascus but God will get his lost sheep's attention and he'll do it by the gospel and it will break the rock to pieces this word is a hammer breaking the rock to pieces it's a fire that God places in us Now, we find throughout the scripture that there's many descriptions of the gospel. In some places, it's called the gospel of peace. And in other places, it's the gospel of God and the gospel of Christ. It's good news. It's good news. Every time we hear about the gospel, we are hearing about good news. It's called the gospel of the grace of God. My goodness, there's no better description than the gospel, than the gospel of the grace of God, the unmerited favor that God would show merit upon a people that are lost and hell-bound. Absolute, contrary to God in every purpose of God, and yet this gospel is called the gospel of the grace of God, that he would have an affection for a people that have no love for God. He says in Romans 8, who are God-lovers. Now, he's changed us to do that. We find that it's the gospel of the kingdom. My goodness, when I was growing up in religion, we had the gospel of the kingdom, and that was something else. The The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ and all these things. What is it? It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when there's a king that has the gospel written about him, it's the gospel about a kingdom. He's ruling and reigning. It's the gospel of salvation. It's the glorious gospel of Christ. It's the mystery of Christ. It's the word of God, the word of Christ, the word of grace, the word of salvation, the word of truth, the word of life. And it is what we find here in the book of Revelation chapter 4. And turn with me there if you would. Revelation chapter 4. There beginning in the middle of verse 6. And we looked at that throne. There was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And we, I, I just, I just believe that that's speaking about a fountain that's as clean as crystal. And this is the fountain that God has dunked every one of his children in to wash away their sins in the blood of Christ. And when we are washed in his blood, that Fountain is as clean as it was before man ever was dunked. It's the blood of Christ. is absolutely essential, but it takes care of every sin. There is no dirt in the water. It is as clear as crystal. No sin mars the glimmer of this fountain. No sin overpowers this fountain, it is absolutely pure and it is as clear as crystal. After all the sheep of God have been taken through this fountain, fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, here in the presence of the king, it is for our benefit to look into this fountain and see that it is clean. It's not for God's benefit. It is for our benefit to see that this fountain is clean because he's washed us and loosed us from our sins in his own blood. And his blood is so powerful that it takes care of the sin issue. And it's just as pure as it was before anybody was taken through it. It's the only fountain that's just as clean before as in the end. No other fountain takes care of that. All right. Now, it tells us in the midst of the throne, middle of verse 6 there, in the midst of the throne and round about the throne, there are four living creatures. Uh, This is one area that I wish they'd have translated correctly. Maybe it was in their day and time. Maybe that's what it meant in their day and time. But in our day and time, beast means something on Halloween. (laughs) It doesn't have a positive connotation. But this has a positive connotation. It is another statement about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will never find the gospel has a negative connotation to God's elect. Now it is a knife, a spear, a sword to cut death unto death. There's not much good said about the gospel by those who don't know it. There's not much good said about the gospel by those who will never have it. But to God's people, the gospel is their life. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the message of Christ. It's the goodness of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there is no negative connotations about the gospel. We'll never find one written in the word of God about the gospel being negative in any sense. If we look at it negative, we're looking at it with a jaundiced eye. God didn't leave that message. He left it as the glorious gospel, the gospel of his grace, the gospel of power. It's a glorious message about the Lord Jesus Christ. And these four living creatures share with us some things about the gospel. They represent it. They are a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It shares with us that there's four living creatures. They're full of eyes before and behind. Now, that's just another statement to share with us that the gospel has been the same from eternity back as it has from eternity future. It is 2020 vision in both directions. It's been the same in every direction, in every age, among every people. We don't need it doctored. We don't need it modified. We don't need it dummied down. We need to leave it alone. It is the glorious gospel. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just leave it as it is. It has been the same. From the inception. And I say that because we just. It's before time began. In eternity past in the covenant of grace. And it will always be the same. Throughout every generation. And throughout eternity. The gospel is the same. The good news. We sang that song. We're going to sing about his sovereign grace. Before his throne. We're going to sing about his great redemptive purpose and plan in the gospel now it goes on to tell us that these four living creatures they have a description the first in verse 7 the first living creature was like a lion the second living creature was like a calf the third living creature had the face of a man and the fourth living creature was likened to a flying eagle now when we look at these living creatures as they're described here. And they're the same description over in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw the same living creatures. He just They're just listed in a little bit different order, but they are the same description over in the book of Ezekiel. And he's sharing with us the gospel there too. Now, when we look at the gospel, we find that God authorized four men to share with us the life of the Lord Jesus Christ those four men looked at the lord jesus christ through the eye of the spirit of god but god granted them in when they wrote down to look at our savior from an aspect different from each other they looked at the lord jesus christ from four different aspects and every one of them is glorious to every believer in christ jesus When we look at that first living creature, we find that this living creature shares with us the message that Matthew shares with us. And I hate to say the the gospel according to Matthew. It's like saying the revelation of Jesus Christ and Matthew was the secretary. Just like we read the revelation of Jesus Christ and John was the secretary here. In the book of Matthew, we find that he is depicted as a lion. And I say that because the scriptures share with us in the book of Matthew that he is declared to be the Son of God. King and divine kingship is presented to us in the book of Matthew. My, he is the King of glory. He is as a lion and the children of God relish and delight in his kingship. Ah, it just shivers my timbers. When people don't see Jesus Christ as ruling and reigning today. Because you just don't have to read very far in the book of Matthew, or Mark, or Luke, or John. And you'll find out he's a king. He is king by his word. He is king by his actions. He is king by his thoughts. He is king over all nature. He is king over all people. He is king of king and lord of lords. And this gospel shares with us that kingship. Now, not that the others don't, but the predominance of this book shares with us that he is king. Now, there is a small book called Mark. Mark is the author only in the sense that he is the one God chose to be a secretary. Now, there's something strange about the book of Mark you don't find that this one described in the book of Mark had any genealogy whatsoever. It doesn't matter when we're reading about a servant. And that second living creature we find has a description or the face of a calf, an ox. And in this book of Mark, we find the Lord Jesus depicted more than anything else, as a servant of God, a servant of the church, and the servant of his elect. He shares with us his servanthood. Now the church delights in that. Who would we rather have to be the one who served us? Served us with his voice. Served us with his word. Served us with his person. Served us with his life, served us with his blood, served us. This servant. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that he would be the servant. He would not, he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. He came as a servant. What a glorious statement. The God of heaven, creator of heaven and earth. Would come down and serve us, in him becoming a ransom. He would be our ransom price. He's a servant, and the gospel declares the King of Kings, and him as servant. He is the servant Savior. He is the divine has divine servantship. He is a high priest. What was a high priest servant? Prophet. What was the prophet? Servant, servant of the people, servant of God. The descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ with his servantship, and then we find this third living creature again declares the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ when we see him as a man, as the face of a man. The book of Luke describes the Lord Jesus in his perf the Perfect manhood of Christ. Now this isn't found in the book of Luke, but this is found. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. We have the gospel describes to us the glories of a man dying for his people. Now he had to come as his brethren. He had to be likened to his brethren. He had to have what we have yet without sin. The great servant, the great king, and the great man. Now, he didn't separate himself from God. We don't call him 50% man and 50% God. He's 100% God and 100% man. He is the God man. And our life depends on the life of this man. Our spiritual life depends on the life of this man, the man Christ Jesus. He must be our man. He must be our kinsman. He must be the fit man to take our sins away from us, like we find there in the book of Leviticus about the uh, scapegoat. of had a note written there, if I'm asked to bring a message at the Easter sunrise service, it's going to be on the scapegoat. And the man who took him out into the wilderness, a fit man, had to have rule, had to be a servant, had to be a man, the God-man. God could not die, but the God-man could. God could not suffer, but the God-man could. He came born of a virgin. How descriptive we find the book of Luke is about the birth of the Lord Jesus. He came as man. He was tempted in all ways. We're tempted yet without sin. And then, that wonderful book of John. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This next view that we have of the gospel found here by this flying eagle, uh, soaring high above, the God-man, God. It's essential that we have God as our Savior. It's essential that we have the God. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Christ. Jesus is in there. That's the man. That's the body that was prepared for us is Jesus. But right on both ends is the Lord Christ. He's the man but he was only a man in time. Now he appeared in a manly form in a in a human form throughout the Old Testament. But he came, born of a virgin, the God-man. Now, the God-man did things that no one else ever did. One of the things the God-man did was he spoke as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. He spoke to the wind and stopped it. He spoke to mentally, at a distance, spoke to a donkey and it didn't have any problem with those who came and got it. He spoke to a fish. He's God. He's the God-man. The Lord God Almighty. With God and was God. This is the Savior. Now, they in verse 8 of the, Re- of the book of Revelation there, chapter uh, 4, verse 8, the scriptures share this about these. It says there, the four living creatures, each of them had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And I like this part. They rest not day or night. I like that aspect about the gospel. It doesn't, the, the ability of God's Word working in people, doesn't stop with sundown. It's ever-present, working, comforting, convicting. It is always, my goodness, uh, uh, it's full of eyes within and rests not day and night. And this is what it says. Now, we mentioned the other day, if you don't have holiness about God, you might as well skip sovereignty. If you don't have holiness, you might as well skip omniscience. If you don't have holiness, you might as well skip omnipresence. Those things are irrelevant if you don't have holiness. If God is not holy, sovereignty means nothing. If God is not holy, his self-existence means nothing, and his immutability means nothing. Holiness is the core. Holiness is the heart of the attributes of God. And when this holiness is declared, when this holy God is declared as these do, and the gospel does declare a holy God, why do we need to be saved? You'll not approach a holy God on your own. Why do we need a cross? You'll not approach God, a holy God, on your own. You could care less if he's sovereign or immutable or anything else. If you can't uh, come before him, if he's not holy, if you can just twiddle your thumbs and come into his presence, but his holiness. Now, when he is declared to be holy, he is holy, then his sovereignty means something. When he is holy, his immutability means something. When he is holy... All of his attributes mean something. His, his eternality and his omnipresence and his love and justice, they mean something when God is holy and he is. So these, the gospel, the gospel in the Old Testament, if there's one thing declared throughout the Old Testament, it is God is holy. His law is holy. His word is holy. His sacrifices are holy. Holy. My goodness, you will not approach God without blood. You can't come into his presence without blood. And it was pictured by the animal sacrifices. And to us, it is declared by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no coming into his presence without the blood of Christ. Holy, holy, holy. We find this in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Holy, 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 those seraphims. And this Lord God Almighty, if there's one thing... That the gospel declares, it declares, Lord God Almighty. There's no room for a little g in the gospel. It is a God of greatness, of almightiness. It is a God that has decreed and will fulfill his decrees. It is a God that reigns and will continue to reign. He is the Lord God Almighty. A gospel that fails on this point will fail on every point. A gospel that fails on holiness will fail on every point. A gospel that can be stopped by mere men will fail on every point. It is, as we read there in the, in the uh, uh, verse 8, they rest not day and night. If the gospel can be stopped by my will, it isn't a good gospel. There's no good news in that. That I have the ability of stopping the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That I have the ability of saying a gospel that has no holiness in it. That's not a gospel. It fails. How the gospel that, quote unquote, little G, that the world preaches is such a failure. It's a failure. It's an absolute failure. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is an absolute success because it declares holy, holy, holy. It rests neither day or night. And as it goes on here, it says it declares Lord God Almighty and besides that which was and is and is to come, the eternality of the purpose and purpose Plan of God. It was not an afterthought. It was an aforethought that it was before the world began and carried out in time and he will fulfill and complete his purpose when he returns again to take all his elect from the east and west, north and south, out of every kindred, nation, people and tongue. What glorious gospel. It's going to have a successful ending. All those that have died, they shall be brought back. All those that are on Buried at sea, buried 10,000 years ago, or however long, there will be a successful end. And that's the good news. Successful end. Gospel has a successful end, had a successful beginning. In the covenant of grace had a successful interim. The Lord Jesus Christ came down here, and He gives us the knowledge that He is the Son of God, that He is the servant, that He's the Son of Man, and He's absolute God. He came to testify of the purpose and almightiness of God. And then it says here in verse 9, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. And that gospel does that. But now notice what the church does. When it hears the gospel giving glory and honor and praise to the Lamb of God. When the gospel praises God, Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all unto me. When I'm exalted, I'm lifted up, don't give me this little bitty peanut God. When I'm declared Almighty, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw the powerful gospel. And here it says there, when verse nine, when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down. When the gospel honors God, the church will honor God. When the gospel is declared that honors God in every aspect, in all of his attributes, in all of his glory, in all of his purpose, when he's honored as a servant and as a king, when he's honored as the Son of God and the Son of Man, when the gospel is declared and made, declared to be holy, declared from beginning to end, and declared that it will be successful What's the church do? Follow suit. Church follows suit. Church says, the gospel said it. I'll do the same. And what's the church do? The four and twenty elders fall down before him and sat on the throne and worship him. Why? As the gospel, it's, it's kind of like a riptide. Catches us. It puts us in the same motion as the gospel. Catches us. Puts us in the same bowing of the gospel. Same respect of God as the gospel. The greatness of God declared in the gospel. And his success in salvation. The wind just catches and places us in the presence of him. We're doing it voluntarily against our will. (laughs) We're caught up. We're taken hold of. Were gripped, were brought through. And here it says, the four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Now, this is what the gospel has said all along. The church just gets caught up. It's a voluntary and voluntary action. The gospel declares it in such a We can't come to the end of it. I don't know what it is before. What's it say over there? It says, uh, uh, Liveth forever and ever. Uh, Holy, holy, holy. I, I don't understand all that. But you know what happens? This is what we'll say Thou art worthy, O Lord, as a result of the gospel, the good news. Christ Jesus the Lord it is that glorious gospel it's the gospel of peace it's the gospel of Christ what does it produce thou art worthy o lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created what is the results of the gospel to our heart sovereign grace of god Everything redounds to your glory. Everything was created by you, and you have pleasure in everything you created. And what's the greatest creation of God? Not just man. The greatest creation is new birth. It's God's greatest creation. Now, second is creating man. But the greatest creation is the new creation in Christ Jesus. And that produces a new language. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. What just happened? The gospel has been declaring it from eternity to eternity. Been declaring God the Son, God the, uh, uh, the Son of God, the servant, the Lord God Almighty. And when this works in the hearts of God's people in the church, there's not having a mealy mouth about a little bitty God that can't get anything done. They're just worshiping a great high priest, a great God, a great king, a great prophet, a great word. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now the same power that brought those that came after the Lord Jesus with spears and sticks and forks and shovels and everything else and he put them on their face is the same power that we get bent over with to worship him. We just don't come up with Dirt in our face. We come up with a worshipful attitude about God. He has bent us over. He has brought us to worship. He has caused us to see him as king. He has caused us to see him as Lord. He has caused us to see him as they see him. The church saw him. And then we we put it this way. The scripture says this. And for thy pleasure they are, thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We just go back to the book of 1 Kings and say, well, there's hewers of wood and drawers of water. God put them on the earth for his people. Or we put it this way, the world is a, a God is the, is the master. He's in charge. And the elect are the actresses and actors and everything else is props. I'm not saying the same thing. For thy pleasure, you've created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now my grandfather was a rapscallion. He was He was not a good man. My dad was beat within inches of his life. He was a drunkard. He left his his wife and my dad's mother when my dad was 12 years old. But you know what? God used him to get me here. <laughs> he was a rascal. And just think of the numbers of rascals God has used to get his elect born. Nobody else in the world paid any attention to Christ except he brought us to the point By whatever birth we were brought, brought us to the point that we'd hear the gospel. God has created all things, and for his glory they were created. And So the church bows and says, we worship you. We worship you. You're holy, holy, holy. That's what the gospel declares. And what's the church? We agree. We're not going to have a vote against it. We agree. We agree with everything the gospel declares. We hold it high and honor it long. It is so glorious. It is so good that God, using the same power that he put those Scallions that came after to arrest him, causes us to worship him. And they bowed, and they worshiped him, and they cried, Thou art worthy, O Lord. And the church has been doing that in every generation. Every member of the church has been praising it. And we say, well, what about all those that are not? I said, every member of the church, (laughs) of the Lord's church, does that. Well, what about all those that say they're Christians and don't do that? I said, every member of the church does that. Now, I find out that there's just a, It limits, doesn't it? (laughs) There's a whole bunch of people. I don't agree with that. Well, every member of the church agrees with it. Four and 20 elders agreed with it. Old Testament and New Testament saints agree with it. Doesn't matter whether there's a bunch of people that don't agree with it. The church has always agreed with the gospel and never fussed about it. They said, yea and amen. And everything was created by you, and for your pleasure were they created.